0: 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work.
1: On Commons People this week, Boris Johnson looks unstoppable.
2: Delay means
1: defeat. Delay means Corbyn. Kick the can again and we kick the bucket. But is he fit for the highest office? So, you know, he talks about equal uh, marriage as, as three men marrying a dog. You know, is this the sort of guy we want to be our prime minister? And is a general election now inevitable?
0: If we get to a point where a prime minister is intent on doing this, the only way of stopping that prime minister would be to be bring down that prime minister's government.
1: Welcome to Commons People. Joining me this week is Paul Wall. Hi, Arj. Hey, Paul. Rachel Wearmouth is also here. Hello. And hopefully at some point, uh, the Conservative ex-Cabinet Minister and Boris Johnson supporter, Andrew Mitchell, will be here, but he's not here yet. Um, now, there are going to be some ground rules for this week, because Boris Johnson is going to feature heavily. Any journalists in the room, that's all of us currently in the room, can't refer to him as Boris. If they do, ref- do, if they do refer to him as Boris, they will be marked down on my piece of paper here, uh, and this is going to last until the end of the Tory leadership contest. And whoever has got the most Borises at the end of the Tory leadership contest will have a forfeit, which will be done on the podcast. Oh, I like that. Determined by our producer JJ. Very okay. good. Okay. Very Everyone good. Everyone
0: agreed. Yeah. Yeah, so no, that's going to be difficult but you yeah. know you know boris there's an johnson easy way to, this is the easy way to do it is just remember if you've never seen it watch harry enfield do uh, a spoof of question time where one of the, the paul johnson just says boris johnson boris johnson boris johnson <laughs> and that's how I always remember it
2: got <laughs> to call him bojor or is that worth that's worse. That's worse. <laughs> yeah, We're <way> worse. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, um, so we've had the first round of voting in the Tory leadership contest today and the field has been narrowed to seven with Andrea Leadsom, Mark Harper and Esther McVeigh all eliminated. Boris Johnson is way out in front with 114 votes, well past the magic 105 needed to get to the final stage of Tory members. Now, let's hear Acting 1922 Committee Chair, Cheryl Gillan, read the results out earlier.
2: The number of votes cast for each candidate in alphabetical order were as follows. Michael Gove, 37. Matt Hancock, 20. Mark Harper, 10. Jeremy Hunt, 43. Sajid Javid, 23. Boris Johnson, 114. Andrea Ledson, 11. Esther McVeigh, 9. Dominic Raab, 27. And Rory Stewart, 19.
1: Um, Paul, everyone may as well
0: pack up and go home now. Johnson
1: has won, hasn't he?
0: Well, he's pretty close to it. I mean, you would have to say he's got one foot in Downing Street. I mean, there's no question that getting that size of votes, I mean, that guarantees him virtually getting in the final two, and that's the only game in town for him. As soon as he got in the final two he thinks he's home and dry with the members. Now we can talk about why that may not necessarily be the case, but certainly that was his game plan, and he's He's executed it quite ruthlessly and, you know, quite professionally. His only focus has been on fellow MPs. Unlike the other MPs, he's been doing one-on-one meetings in his office. Uh, I wrote about this today, but even yesterday after the 1922 hustings, he was meeting MPs in his office, wavering MPs, doing the one-on-one that actually other people who are ministers haven't had enough time to do and others haven't really been effective at. So it's impressive the numbers. Again, his his team have really got whether well, it's Gavin Williamson and Grant Shaps have worked out the numbers down to the last every individual MP. And I know for a fact that they had a sealed envelope with the with the number one one four on it and they were gonna give it to Boris after the announcement was made and they did give it to Boris after the announcement was made. To, just to, to prove to him they got the numbers bang on.
1: How good the whipping yeah, operation exactly. is. They love a sealed envelope in oh, the yeah. Conservative <laughs> Party, don't the they? Drama. <laughs> Um, What of the other candidates, Rachel? Can anyone actually beat Johnson?
2: Well, um, Jeremy Hunt came out with uh, 43, which everyone is saying is much less impressive than they were expecting from him. Um, Gove, who has been, uh, Michael Gove, who has been hit with um, all of the allegations about his, well, which he admits, um, his past cocaine use. um, That's kind of, a lot of people were expecting him to to pull out, but I um, don't think that's going to happen. Um, It may all play quite well for Javid, whose campaign is um, saying that he's got a lot of momentum at the minute um, and that some of them could start to fall in behind him. But it depends really on... There'll be a lot of pressure on people like Rory Stewart um, and Matt Hancock to to pull out, and it's where their supporters go um, now and who could leapfrog who. Could
1: Rory Stewart be the Stop Johnson insurgent candidate if he somehow manages to get to the last two, which he probably isn't going to do. He was second in a Conservative Home poll today.
0: Yeah, I mean, that kind of polling does help you. If it it looks like you're the guy who can win in the country, not necessarily with the members, but if you could win in the country, that helps him. But realistically, I think actually, if anyone's going to really be doing any leapfrogging, it'll be Sajid Javid. Because if, for example, the Gove campaign decides that's it and Hancock decides that's it, Um, their supporters could go to Javid as a clear, obvious, different choice to to Boris. You know, he looks different. He looks like modern Britain. He sounds like modern Britain. He's got a completely different backstory to to Boris. But it's not obviously about backstory. It's about the future. And I think that, that Boris's big weapon so far has been, look, vote for me because we're under clear and present danger. In other words, an immediate snap general election, whereas... Actually, a lot of Tory MPs think they need to look at the big horizon, the big picture, an election in 2022. And would Boris win that or would you have a a figure of the future would be Sajid Javid, you know, someone who could win a whole term, two terms. Um, No one's really thinking like that for Boris.
2: I spoke to a lot of Labour people today and they tell me that they're, they're, they're more worried about someone like Sajid Javid than they would be about by Boris Johnson. When you think about um, the voters that um, the Conservatives lost last time round, it was that, that those younger voters who will probably look at someone like Sajid Javid and see you know, someone that they may be able to vote for. I think it's quite significant that Ruth Davidson backed um, Sajid Javid as well. I think she's kind of really well-liked among the members and it's kind of she'd be thinking about her 2021 um, campaign for to be First Minister of Scotland and she'll be looking at someone like Sajid Javid and seeing that she could probably make progress in the central
0: belt of Scotland with someone like yeah, him. Yeah, whereas Boris obviously is a big, big turn-off for Scots Tory. Massive.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. Actually, I, I was at a focus group uh, last night with Tory voters, which you can read more about this weekend. Yeah, can't um, wait for that. And basically no one really knew much about Sajid Javid at the start of it. They, they could, A lot of people confused him with Sadiq Khan. You know. <laughs> but by, by the end, when they'd seen his backstory and seen his campaign video and seen interview clips of him, a lot of people came out, came out thinking, oh, actually, he's pretty good.
2: The, the, the one thing I think that it's quite cheeky of him to say is, I'm the change candidate. He's been a cabinet minister for quite a long time now. Um, so, yeah, I don't know how that will play in the long run, but there you go.
1: You might think cybercrime is something that happens to other people, but you'd be wrong. Stealing data from public Wi-Fi is one of the easiest ways for hackers to make money. To protect yourself from cybercrime, use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN secures your internet browsing by encrypting data and hiding your IP address. With easy-to-use apps, protect your data with three months free at expressvpn.com. That's expressvpn.com. Slash Huff for three months free with a one-year package. Um, Right, Boris Johnson's campaign has already proven controversial with accusations that he's hiding from scrutiny, pursuing an impossible Brexit policy and acting like Britain's Donald Trump. Uh, Let's hear Sky News' Beth Rigby booed by supporters of Johnson, including MPs, for asking about his comments on Muslim women.
2: This language had to stop, but it doesn't stop. You brought shame on your party when you described veiled Muslim women as letterboxes and bank robbers.
1: It's not really on, is it, booing journalists at a press conference Well, if you're I an was, MP?
0: I was in the room and I have to say, you know, on the one hand, journalists should be relatively thick skinned. You know, I remember Jeremy Corbyn's... Um, general election manifesto launch up in Bradford. You know, a lot of journalists were booed by Labour members in the audience then for asking normal, decent, critical, sceptical questions. And at the time, I thought that was a bit odd. Um, But actually, it's it's happening at quite a few launches. It happened in the Tory general election launch in 2015. Gove's. You know, Gove's launch as well. So... um, you have to have a thick skin as a journalist. You know, we, we don't really mind that kind of stuff. But I think what was different about that Beth Rigby thing was the subject she was talking about. And the subject she was talking about was, you know, Muslim women being described as letterboxes. And to see some of the sort of raw, sort of mob-like mentality amongst Tory elected MPs in the room just looked quite ugly. It's one thing having, you know, activists doing that kind of thing. They'll get caught up with the moment. But MPs? And that's what I thought was slightly different about it and didn't look nice at all. Yeah, Rachel, is he turning into a British Trump?
2: He's tr- certainly trying to be, isn't he? I think I think that's what he's going for. I mean, at the end of the day, the public don't like journalists, however much we <laughs> try to pretend that isn't the case. They don't. Um, he is going for that. We know We know he's had meetings with Steve Bannon in the past, but I don't know if he has the same, if he's going to be... Or any of his past instincts tell us that he's a hardliner in the way that Trump has been. So I don't know if he's playing up to it because he thinks it would be electorally successful for him rather than that being exactly his instinct.
1: But his answer to Beth's question was interesting as well because he basically said, oh, well, I'm just the voice of the people. Essentially, this is what people think. Yeah. Uh, which and is I very Trumpian.
0: It really was. And I thought that that was got to the heart of Boris. You know, this pact he's made with the devil now. You know, has he re- has he really junked all the liberal stuff of liberal Boris? He tried in the answer to have his cake and eat it, as he always does. And he tried to say, well, on the one hand, I'm in favour of free speech. And actually, you know, you could it, muffling this stuff doesn't help anyone and political correctness is wrong playing to the base no question then at the same time saying well I was sorry if I offended anyone you can't do both things you know and he tried to do both things it's either offensive or it's not if it's not if it's offensive then you regret it and you apologize and you should try not to do it again unfortunately he's a serial offender in the, in the norm, both senses of the word offending you know he's, a, he's done this so many times got a, a charge sheet as long as your arm and it's not just off the cuff stuff it's scripted stuff it's stuff he's written when he wrote you know letterboxes he sat down at a computer and knew exactly the impact that would have it was a cheap laugh it was an, a, a, a dog whistle there's no question and that will worry a lot of the liberal Tories around him who've been trying to defend him saying oh that's not real Boris how dare you Boris gets really upset I remember asking him once at a party conference dinner about the picking his stuff and he nearly Exploded, like he got really angry. How can anyone call me a racist? No, everyone who knows me is not a racist. My father-in-law's Indian and blah blah blah, all this stuff. Um and um yeah, you then at the same time he's so he's desperately not wanting to be pitched like that, but he keeps doing the same thing. So Yeah, and and, and why why are so many MPs
2: thinking him? Why do they think he'll win a general election if he's that divisive?
0: Because Clear and present danger of Nigel Farage. They think, as he said in the hostings this week, there's a near extinction event coming up on the horizon, and it's Nigel Farage, and they're really terrified. It's as simple as that.
1: But if if, they, if he tries to, if they try to out Farage, Farage, um, you know that that, that might leave him in a worse place, mightn't it? Because they're going to lose votes on the other side. I also, I also
2: wonder if we've we've had our had one of our big revolt. Moments, You know, our kind of iteration of the Donald Trump election may have been the Brexit vote itself and I think I wonder if everyone might be a bit sick of kicking the establishment and now just wants the establishment to work maybe just want some good government
0: and I don't... Yeah, yeah. good governments really matters, yeah.
1: Good news, Andrew Mitchell is here, the Tory former cabinet minister and Boris Johnson supporter uh, good good day for your man today, Andrew
3: Yes, I'm so sorry I was late Yes, um, he's done... Um, well, and that's uh, that's that's good. I think that he appeals to two very important constituencies, those who uh, want to leave the European Union. He's the authentic Brexiteer. He led the campaign, so he appeals to them. But he also appeals to my wing of the party, the One Nation wing, because of his reputation as mayor of London, where, of course, he did many wonderful things. And I think it's this cocktail which has got him to where he is today. Uh, but uh, as you know, in the Tory leadership elections, the favourite never wins. So so he'll be, on, he'll be feeling very, very cautious.
1: Uh, now, now you said he appeals to the One Nation wing of the Tory party. We've kind of been talking about some of his past language and so on. And actually, his record as London May, he's, he wasted tens of millions of pounds on the failed Garden Bridge, illegal water cannon and so on. Um, We've talked about his comments about Muslim women, um, about black people's watermelon smiles, so on and so on and so on. Why does he actually appeal to the One Nation wing, given all this?
3: Well, I think hes uh, he would be the first person to say he should be cautious with his language. And he said yesterday at his launch that if he defended anyone, he apologised. Unreservedly, but the reason why is that he was a brilliant mayor in a in what is, let's be honest, a Labour city, and he won from a point where he was seventeen percent behind, or the Conservatives were seventeen percent behind Labour. London is a Labour city. He beat the charismatic Ken Livingstone. Left winger, uh, not once but twice. So there was a referendum, if you like, on his abilities as mayor of London, in the first term, and he was triumphantly re-elected. And of course, he promised to build a hundred thousand new houses. He built more than that. He introduced the London living wage and led the government, actually, and George Osborne, in that. He focused on getting. Younger people into work. He presided over a London which created a lot of new businesses. I mean, his record in London is superb. And what one nation people like me want to see him do is to replicate that record as Prime Minister of our country.
2: There's obviously a lot has passed between between then and now. I mean, I don't probably few people who would actually still call Ken Livingstone charismatic, <laughs> given given um, all the allegations about anti-Semitism he's since since. I mean, um, Boris Johnson's also gone through a long period where he led the Vote Leave campaign, that's kind of divided a lot of people. Do you think he can still appeal to Remainers?
3: Well, I'm not making any comment on Ken Livingstone and his politics because, of course, I don't approve of them. But I think you cannot deny that in his day, Ken Livingstone was a charismatic lefty. My point is that Boris confronted him and beat him. Now, you know, to to, to your question... Uh, I think that uh, a lot of water has gone under the bridge. This is an incredibly divided country at the moment. Families are divided. My constituency, the royal town of Sutton Coalfield, is divided straight down the middle. We live in very uh, divisive times, but it seems to me to be a sensible approach to put the man who led the campaign to leave the European Union, a campaign that was supported democratically by the majority of the public, in charge now of delivering it. And I think that is what he will be able to do.
0: Andrew, you're a real old hand. You've been around for a long time, former whip on the Major. You've been involved in leadership campaigns with David Davis. What's different... John Major, William John Major, William major, Hague, William Hague. What, what's... What's been different about this race as far as campaign managers are concerned? And at what point did you come on board with Boris? Were you on board very early? I mean, you're a numbers man. You know the fact that he's got these extraordinary numbers in the first round. Um, has anything surprised you this time around? Has it been different from previous races?
3: Well, it's certainly different because I ran the book in John Major's campaign, which nearly 30 years ago yeah. in pool. And uh, in those days, the book was a file, loosely file, with 370 pages for every member of parliament with notes on it. The uh, person, Grant Shapps, who is running the book now for Boris, this is a high-tech, big screen stuff. He's got a spreadsheet, isn't he? With many, many data points uh, on it. So I can see myself that technology has hugely improved our ability on numbers in the last 30 years. Um, I... I supported uh, Boris Johnson uh, in 2016 before he blew up on the runway. And indeed, I put him on the candidates list in 1992 when I was the vice chairman of the party responsible for candidates. And ah, it, it, it gets it's worse. all down to you. It gets worse <laughs> because at the same time, I also put his dad, Stanley, back <laughs> on the candidates list. So, you know, I know Boris very well. I know, I know his strengths and his weaknesses. And I think that he is the man now to lead our country through the next critical stage.
0: And do, how often, we keep being told it's the most sophisticated and or duplicitous electorate in the world. Is that a myth or do you, do you actually genuinely, from your experience, know of instances where MPs have promised several people at the same time or is there a way of stopping that happening now in the internet age where you can log it down and say, look, we've got you written down and you can't escape?
3: Well, you can escape and as you rightly say, it's an extremely sophisticated and cunning even Serpentine electorate, of course. But after the John Major campaign in 1990, the three bookkeepers, which I was one, met up for a good dinner and revealed our lists and pledges. And uh, what that showed was that nearly 30 members of parliament have pledged to more than one candidate. So <laughs> it, is, it, is a, it is a tricky system where you do need to be able to count now,
1: Boris Johnson has also committed to taking Britain out of the EU, deal or no deal, on October the 31st. Um, but with the EU refusing to renegotiate the withdrawal deal and Parliament poised to block no deal, possibly by collapsing the government, is this even possible? Johnson's leadership rival Jeremy Hunt thinks a general election is inevitable unless a Brexit deal can be agreed. Let's listen to him. If we can get a deal, that is the only way we will avoid a general election. And you've just been talking about the, the Peterborough by-election with John Ashworth. Uh, if we repeat going to the country on a national scale, then we will see what happened at Peterborough happening on a national scale, which is the right-wing vote, the centre-right vote split, and Labour coming through the middle. And that would be an absolute catastrophe. Paul, is a general election inevitable now if Boris becomes Prime Minister with this promise?
0: Well, as I said earlier, I think actually this is Boris's unique selling point. He, the narrative of Boris is he's the Prime Minister and the Tory leader for now. He's not necessarily the Tory leader for 2022 or 2027, but he's the leader from right now because there's a clear and present danger from, from the Brexit party. Um, and, it, you know, his time has arrived and I talked to someone this week who said, "Thank God Boris didn't really run or get it in 2016. It would have been a disaster. He would have had to inherit the the, the whole Brexit farago. He would have had to really work hard with Brussels, and, and he would have ended up in the same position as May. Now he can come in and right, 'Right, I'm tidying this up. I'm banging the table. I'm going to get. I'm going to tweak her deal, and with a bit of goodwill from the E.R.G. who are all on board, and with the goodwill from the D.U.P. who we haven't heard from yet, but you assume are on board." I wouldn't put it past him getting a deal passed. He might need more time, but just imagine if only a few of the hardline Brexiteers say, actually, Boris, you're betraying us. We didn't want you to do any of this. We really wanted no deal. Um, Then I think a general election is inevitable. And I think Boris... And it could be in October. People around Boris have talked about the possibility, not publicly, of a snap election because they think the polls show they can hammer Jeremy Corbyn and and hammer Farage. Now, it's a great prize. It's a tempting prize. Um, I'm not sure everyone around him would agree and certainly not people in marginal seats. But, you know, um, who knows? Andrew, have lots of Tory MPs actually backed Boris Johnson because...
1: They can see what's on the horizon with Brexit and think an election might be inevitable and think he's actually the best man to deal with a kind of snap, almost emergency
3: election to break the deadlock. I don't think anyone wants an election. Uh, You know, Brenda from Bristol made the point that we would rather get this sorted out by this parliament. And I think there's a reasonable chance that we can. I I don't think there's anything wrong with saying October the 31st is a deadline. Everything is known. All the cards are on the table. Everyone knows the position. We need a date to bring this to a conclusion. And I think October the 31st is fine. And, And Boris wants a deal. I want a deal. Everyone wants a deal if possible. But in the end, I don't agree with my colleagues who say you should take no deal off the table. You can't run and win a negotiation or conclude a negotiation if you're saying that you're going to have to conclude a deal. It's like someone going into a second-hand car sales room and saying to the dealer, I'm not leaving here till you've sold me that car. You're giving them enormous strength. So we need to ensure that we leave. I think it's doing great damage to British politics not carrying out the wish of the electorate, which is to leave. So I think October the 31st is a sensible day. And I think if everyone focuses on that, including the EU, who want a deal too, we ought to be able to get there. You're talking about it as if it's not a kind of
1: definite, definite deadline, that it's kind of a focus and more of an aim of the Boris Johnson proto-premiership.
3: No, I think it's a deadline. I really do. And I think there's no reason why it shouldn't be, because we know everything, all the all the positions are quite clear. So I think he's right to say that we will leave on October the 31st, and uh, hopefully we'll leave with a deal.
1: Now, now one thing that, that has been brought up as a way to get around Parliament blocking a no-deal exit and and therefore making uh, uh, whoever the winning candidate is miss the deadline, if that's what they're going for, is proroguing Parliament effectively, suspending Parliament. Um, Boris Johnson hasn't ruled this out. He's, suggest- he's suggested he's against it strongly, but he's not ruled it out. Do- what do you think about the idea of proroguing Parliament to get Brexit through?
3: Well, I think, he's, I think he's right not to rule anything out, but I don't think it's reasonable or practical to prorogue Parliament. It looks as though it's the executive... Playing fast and loose with parliamentary democracy, and the last time the executive did that, the king lost his head. So I think it's not a sensible approach to take.
1: Um, Rachel Tory seems to think he's the only man who can beat Jeremy Corbyn. What, what
2: do you make of that? Um, I think that's that's yet to be that's yet to be found out. I think I think I think one area that I think Boris needs to make up Boris Johnson needs to make up a lot of ground is um, among women among female voters um, who are probably more in the the Labour camp at the moment because at the next election Labour may be offering them a policy of universal free childcare and I think it's probably an area that the Conservative Party needs to think about is if they're they're going to be selling Boris at the next election, uh, do women trust him? Do Do you agree? Do you think that's an area that he will need to look at?
3: I think so, but he was pretty good on, in London on, on, uh, on this issue. And I think that the Conservative Party's whole offer needs to address those, those points. And, you know, he, Boris. if you strip out the, the Brexit stuff, Boris has shown himself to be a socially liberal Conservative. He's one of the early champions of the Cameron reforms. He's one of the early champions of gay marriage. He showed in London his social liberalism. And I think that uh, that's something that will shine through in the next Conservative manifesto. Um, you've uh, obviously a veteran of leadership elections, as we've just
1: heard from from Paul and, and yourself. Are there a, is there anything that can stop Boris Johnson now? What what are the potential pitfalls ahead for him?
3: Well, uh, I I don't know what they are, but they're definitely there, and uh, the favourite never I mean, wins. What type of thing. And i well d- I do it d-
1: usually comes along to derail a kind
3: i think of. I think the whole point is that if if you knew what it was going to be it wouldn 't derail oh. so so i can 't really speculate on on that, and I think one of the good things about Boris is that you know you know everything is known about boris he 's been so in the limelight this idea that he 's hiding away from the media is patently ridiculous ridiculous so 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 uh i can 't tell you today what it might be, but all I can tell you is there there will be huge dangers out there lurking away which mitigate against complacency.
2: Would, would you still call that point ridiculous if he completely avoids the TV debates? Well, he, he won't.
3: I mean, he, he, won't. He, he may not agree to debate with, you know, nine other candidates. But, but uh, certainly, you know, Boris has never been shy of scrutiny in the media. And by the time the country goes to the polls, uh, the Conservative Party in the country go to the polls, um, it's, it's inconceivable he won't have done quite a lot of media. Yeah. Do you
2: think he'll do the debates with the other leadership candidates? Next? It depends
3: on the format and also how many, you know, because uh, he's, he's some way ahead. So there's no reason for him to debate with everybody, I wouldn't have thought. But uh, I'm not on his media team, so they're very expert and they will, together with him, decide. It wasn't a good look for Theresa May, was it, in the
1: 2017 election when she sent Amber Rudd in her place? And, you know, we all know
3: how that election turned out, of course. No, well, that but the argument there, I think, is that we need real scrutiny of the candidates this time. And I think we're getting it, actually, and that's a good thing. OK, now we've just about got time for a quiz, which
1: actually I envisaged, Andrew, you and Paul would be going quite head-to-head on this. It's on Tory leadership contest
2: past. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pick you out as the winner for this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Rachel wasn't born for, for <laughs> most of these questions, no. so <laughs> <laughs>
1: there is one current one. Um, it's just quick three questions uh but buzz in if you have the answer so uh which three candidates contested the first formal election for the tory leadership in
3: 1965 1965 was ted heath reggie maudling and goodness me ted heath reggie maudling it wasn't it certainly wasn't willie whitelaw i don't think Nope. No, you'll have to tell me the last one. Uh,
1: The final one was Enoch Powell. Enoch, Enoch Enoch Powell, Powell, yes, yes, yes. Heath obviously won with an outright majority. Uh, Who was seen as the natural successor to Heath in 1975, but ruled themselves out after suggesting poor people should have less children? Fewer children,
3: fewer children. Sir Keith Joseph, my father was his PPS. Oh, really? Wow. He was the Member of Parliament who acted uh, as his Parliamentary Private Secretary, yeah. So that must have been a difficult time <laughs> when he... I vaguely remember it, yeah, actually. Yeah. I, was at, I was at university at the time. In fact, yeah. I was in the army at the time right, yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. when uh, Mrs Thatcher won. I remember I was at Sandhurst.
1: Yeah, yeah. O- obviously, the race was won by Margaret Thatcher. Um, and just a final one. In this year's leadership election, whose slogan is, Let's move forward?
2: Matt Hancock's. Correct. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, I was well, there, I got my free waffles won, at the but lunch. You've not got a duck. That's good. <laughs> well, but I think
3: it's one all because I didn't get the full answer to your first no, question. No, I suppose not. So I think, yeah, one all. Well done, it's one It's a good upset that we'll
1: go to a replay. Uh, That's all we've got time for. We'll just leave you with Rory Stewart's idea of holding his own parliament to try and stop Boris Johnson attempting to force through Brexit by proroguing the current one.
0: Are you going to lock the doors of parliament? And if so, tell people, because we want to know what kind of leader or prime minister we're voting for. But he won't be able to. I guarantee you, if he were to try... I and every other member of parliament will sit across the road in Methodist Central Hall and we will hold our own session of parliament and we will bring him down because you do not ever lock the doors on parliament in this country or indeed in any other country with any respect in the world.
1: Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too.